again, we're, we're, we're glad you've joined us for online worship with Lebanon Christian Church. As we look out, um, just even a couple weeks away, we, we still are on track uh, as of this time to begin regathering uh, for our worship experiences here at 9 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings. Uh, if, you, if you pay attention to our Facebook page, uh, our COVID-19 page on our website, uh, some of our announcement videos that are going to be coming. Uh, you're going to get more details about what that might look like, what that is going to look like. And so uh, we know that at the minimum, uh, this week looks to be our last week of um, this type of online worship, uh, which you can look forward to in future weeks, beginning with Father's Day next week, is that at 1030, uh, we will be live from this room. Um, We'll, we'll be hosting, we'll have communion, we'll have offering, our worship team will be live, and then um, I'll be communicating from God's Word live in this place. And so you'll want to tune in at 10.30. If you can't tune in at 10.30, uh, what you can do is that, that video of that service will be stored, and you're going to be able to watch that at your convenience uh, outside of that time. But at 10.30, again, beginning next week, Father's Day, uh, we will be live. And, uh, but I do, I welcome you. I'm glad you're joining us for online worship again. It has been a strange and a crazy season. If you're joining us for the very first time at Lebanon Christian Church, we are journeying through Luke's gospel. Uh, Luke is um, this follower of Jesus. He was a companion of the Apostle Paul. He heard firsthand uh, through eyewitnesses who quite literally walked with Jesus, were present with Jesus, heard his teachings, and he saw the effects of Jesus, the Son of God, on the entire world. And so he chose, um, that's probably not the right terms, God's Spirit led him, and he felt compelled to record uh, the, the life of Jesus. And we call that Luke's Gospel. It's this biography, maybe even more than that, a theological biography. It's this biography that's special. It records the life of Jesus, but it helps us understand who God is. Uh, Luke even declares for us his purpose in writing. In the first four verses of his gospel, he tells us that he sought to, to have an orderly account, an account that you could follow that was meticulous, that was intentional, so that everyone who would read it, everyone who would hear it being read, could have certainty surrounding who Jesus not only was, but who he is and who he will forever be as the Son of God. So we're journeying through it, and I've told you before, it is just incredible to me how, how we see God's hand in this. As we walk through things in our world, and it feels like this year has just been heavy, you've probably seen the memes about 2020. Like, I mean, it just keeps like having this heavy load and yet on the, at the same time, we, we can see how God is at work in it and how in Christ he is doing mighty things. And so walking through Luke's gospel has been so refreshing. It's been so poignant. In fact, last week we actually moved out of um, our orderly walk through the gospel of Luke to, to jump ahead to Luke chapter 10 because Jesus has those timely words about what it really looks like to respond to the love of God and to love God in return 
and then, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. He tells us what it looks like to be a neighbor in that parable of what I call the, the merciful traveler, um, what we often call the parable of the Good Samaritan. But to, today we're going to jump back into our originally intended order. When we left off two weeks ago, our associate minister, Philip, had preached on Luke chapter 8. Uh, it's this fascinating part of Luke's gospel where we see Jesus' incredible power. He, he exhibits power over nature. Uh, he calms the storm. Uh, he, he, he exhibits power over evil as he heals a demon-possessed man. He exhibits power over disease as he heals a woman who's been bleeding uh, for 12 years. He exhibits power over death as he raises Jairus' daughter to life. We just see this phenomenal display of God's power. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to kind of think of Philip's message from two weeks ago as part one of this idea of who Jesus is. In Luke chapter 8, verse 25, as Jesus calms the wind and the waves, the disciples collectively ask this question. They say, who is this? Who, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who, who, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Uh, those are the exact words in the ESV translation. Who is this? I told you that Luke wrote in an orderly way. Luke presents these themes, these intentional themes, these foundational truths about who Jesus is. In the first four chapters, uh, he, he helps us see how Jesus is the one that God's people had been waiting for. He, he shows how Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. He does that by showing that, that Jesus' arrival is accompanied by signs and wonders, angelic pronouncements, the fulfillment of specific words of prophecy. He, he, he shows us that, that, that salvation is extended beyond just the ancestral people of Israel, but extends to even the Gentiles, to, to, to all people. He, he highlights in, the, in those first eight chapters, and really throughout his whole gospel, how both men and women are participants in the kingdom of God. They both have significant roles to play in the kingdom of God. He just, he just hits on these themes uh, leading into his parable of the sowers or the parable of the soil. Uh, Jesus talks about hearing and doing, and that presents another theme. There's a theme that runs up the, the gospel of Luke about hearing God's word and doing it. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 25, he, he gives us this next theme of, Answering this question, who is Jesus? Again, remember, his intention in writing this gospel was to bring certainty and confidence to the hearer, to the reader. His immediate audience who received it, but also to us. And part of having that confidence is understanding who Jesus is. In, in chapter 8, verse 25, through chapter 9, verse 45, four different times that question is asked. Who is this? Who is he? And so the first time it's asked is when Jesus displays this power. So who is Jesus? He's, he's someone who displays power. Power, by the way, up to this point, over nature, over demons, evil, over disease, and over death that were attributed exclusively to God are now seen in, in Jesus. But, but we also see uh, even more about who Jesus is as we continue working 
through the passage. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 17. Uh, so if you have your Gospels of Luke uh, or your Bible, find Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. Before we start reading, though, I, I want you to kind of linger in that question for a moment. Who is Jesus? That, that's a big question, right? When we talk about someone, who they are, uh, we, we talk about more than just their name. Um, I'm Craig, but Craig is not who I am. There's so much more to me. My character, um, the things that I do, the life that I live... That's what makes me who I am. When we ask the question, who, who is this? We're talking about character. And what we believe about someone affects how we treat them and how we respond to them. Here's just a simple exercise. If you think about your teachers for a moment, those of you that are still in school, whether that's elementary, junior high, high school, college, think about teachers. Who you believe your teacher to be affects how you treat them and respond to them. If you believe your teacher is someone that cares about you, who's committed their life to investing in you, to help you become the very best human being that you can be, to educate you and to, to show you the way, then you will treat them and respond to them differently. If you believe your teacher is there just to make your life miserable, or they're there just for a paycheck, or they just want to manipulate you, or they're on some power trip, then that will affect how you treat them and respond to them. And the same goes for any other person in life, whether it's a parent. If you believe your parent loves you and cares for you and wants what's best for you, it affects how you treat them and respond to them. If you believe your parent doesn't care for you, doesn't love you, um, wants to, to, to just overpower you and burden you, then it will affect how you treat and respond to them. For our spouses, for our children, uh, the same is true. Our coworkers, if we believe that our coworkers are working with us and we're sharing together in the mission and the vision of our company or organization, it affects how we treat them and respond to them. Our, our boss, if you believe that your boss cares for you and, and is really trying to do what's best for you or the organization or the company you're a part of, it will affect how you treat them and respond to them. If you don't believe that, then it will affect how you treat them and respond to them. The same is true of Jesus. Well, what you and I believe to be true about who Jesus is affects how we will treat him and respond to him. Now, there are some who believe that, that Jesus is just a good man. He, he was a really nice guy. He was an incredible teacher. And that affects how they treat him and respond to them. They can put him on covers of Time magazine to, to make him the king of their life is a different story. But there are others, I'm one of them, and many of you are some of them, that believe that Jesus is so much more than just a good teacher, a gifted communicator, a nice man. We believe that he is the Savior of the world, the Son of God. And that affects how we treat him and respond to him. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment. If you're watching this by yourself, I want you to hit pause in just a moment. I'll give you the cue in, here, here, in just a few, few moments. Um, and I want you to think about who Jesus is. What do you believe to be true about Jesus? His character, his role, um, what he has done, and, and what he continues to do in the world. If you're watching with a group, then take time to go around your group. Somebody record the answers and, and make a lengthy list of who Jesus is. Go ahead, and over the next few minutes, reflect on who you believe Jesus to be. Go ahead and do that now.
Do you understand that this is exactly what Luke wants you to do? Uh, This is what Luke wanted his reader to do, to reflect on the significance of Jesus. To answer the question, who is this? Who is Jesus? And so, yes, he's a Jesus who has power over nature and power over evil and power over disease and power over death. But he is so much more. We're going to look at these 17 verses today and we're going to see more about who Jesus is and we'll call that part two. And next week we're going to see even more about who Jesus is and we'll call that part three about who is Jesus or who is this man. Verses 1 through 17, let's look at the first two verses. It says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. We saw several weeks ago that Jesus selected from among a host of male and female disciples these twelve to have this unique and special relationship with. And so now he takes them and he says, I've got a special mission for you. And look at what he does. It says, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Philip alluded to this when he preached a couple of weeks ago about Jesus lending his power to another. Jesus gives his power and authority away. You want to know who Jesus is? Jesus is one who gives his power and authority to his disciples. That's who he is. Did you know up to this point in Luke's gospel, the words power and authority have only been used to ex- exclusively of Jesus. Like Jesus is the only one that's said to be doing anything with power or with authority. But suddenly now that's opened up. Jesus gives his power and his authority. The things that we saw him do to power with nature and power over evil and power over disease and power over death. He provides that to his disciples. That is remarkable. That's who Jesus is. What do we mean by power and authority? Well, if you think of authority as the right to do something, Jesus gives the right to do something. He gives authority to the disciples, but he also gives the ability to do something. So they have the right and the ability to do remarkable things. Now, you may be tempted to say, Craig, that's incredible. Like, if I was one of the 12, that's remarkable. But, But I'm not sure God still does that. But here's the thing he does. In Luke chapter 10, he sends 72 disciples out on another mission and gives them power and authority. When, when Jesus dies and raises from the dead and he prepares to ascend to God, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 tells us that Jesus promises that his disciples, every follower, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. And they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus still gives his power and his authority away. That that should cause you and I to take a step back. It should cause us to reflect and to ask and to ponder, what does it mean to live with your power and your authority? I'll tell you in part what it means. It means that we are able to champion his purposes in this world The very nuances of what it looks like to love God, to believe in his truth, to champion his truth, and to to live it out in how we love our neighbor as ourself. And we can stand knowing that God is with us. There is power. You can speak the truth boldly knowing that God works and cares and, and is active in your life. 
There's power and authority. Jesus gives his power and authority to his disciples. That's who he is. But, but there's even more here. Not only does Jesus give his power and authority to his disciples, he invites them to participate in his mission. Jesus invites us to participate in his mission. That's who he is. Look at verse 2. It says, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Again, up to this point, these are things that are used exclusively of Jesus. Jesus says that I, I, I've been anointed to proclaim freedom for captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's the one that heals. But now he says, guys, you get to participate in my mission. See, this is who Jesus is. Not only does he have power, not only does he give that power and that authority to his disciples, but he invites them to be active participants in his mission. And you've probably already guessed it. He still does. We see it in the sending of the 72. We hear it in Paul's words, 2 Corinthians. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. That God uses us. We're agents of his kingdom. You and I get to participate as we believe in him, as he fills us with his power in his mission. We're to be active participants. Each day of our lives is to be lived on mission to, to further his purposes in this world. We further them in our homes. We further them in our places of work. We further them in our friendships. We further them in our communities. We are agents of his. We are partners with him in his divine mission. That's who Jesus is. He's one who invites us to participate in his mission. But, but there's more. He continues on, verse 3. He says, And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Did you hear what Jesus did? He says, When you go, guys, I don't want you to take anything with you. I want you to have nothing but, 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 the, but the bare essentials, the clothes on your back. Like, don't take money with you. Don't take a staff to, to help you to be sustained on, on the path, to, to, to ward off you know, wild dogs or whatever. Uh, don't, don't take food with you. Don't take a bag with you. Don't even take a second change of clothes. Here's what I want you I want you to depend upon me. Jesus is one who invites us to depend upon him. And where does he go from there? He says, people are, some are going to accept you and some are going to reject you. So this is who Jesus is. Jesus is one who invites people to follow him. He gives them the power and the authority. He invites them to participate and be active participants in his mission. And then he says, as you do it, depend upon me and I will provide for you. I will enable you. I will equip you whether people are accepting you or rejecting you. Jesus invites us to depend upon him. I think one of the things we'll look back on in this season in our lives is how it has forced us, like so many other followers of Jesus around the world, so many of them have been experiencing this for so long, to be absolutely dependent upon God. We can wear masks, we can wash hands, we can use hand sanitizer, we can keep six feet distance, but ultimately we are dependent upon Him. And there's something very beautiful and we see God come through in powerful ways as he enables us and he equips us and he provides for us. That's who Jesus is. Luke takes kind of a break from the 12 and he shows us in verses 7 through 9 something happening with Herod. Herod is what we call the Tetrarch. 
It's a fourth is what that term refers to. He ruled over a fourth of this region, and his region included Galilee and Jerusalem. And so here is Herod, and Herod hears about the things that Jesus is doing, and and here's his response. Uh, This is verse 9. He says, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? Now, whether it's the things that he hears traveling because the 12 are on mission for him and they're healing people and they're participating, or it's the other stories that have got to him from what Jesus has done, the people he's raised to life, we don't know. But but regardless, what we know is that word has gotten back to Herod. Word has gotten back to the palace. Word has gotten back to the ruler that Jesus is doing remarkable things. We also know this about Herod. Herod is not a faithful believer in God. He's not a faithful follower of God. And yet the effects of Jesus are so much that he himself has to ask, who is this? Same question the disciples asked in the boat. I share that because I'm guessing that there are some of you who are watching this. And you're not sure you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the Savior of the world. But there's just too much that you have heard and seen attributed to Jesus to just dismiss him. You ask the question, who is this? And here's my encouragement to you. If you are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, if all the reports of what he's done and and all the the good things that he's known for are stirring you, that you would follow them, that you would allow those promptings to help you investigate who Jesus is. And our prayer for you is that you would come to see these far more than just a prophet, far more than just a teacher, that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, sent by God because God loves you immensely. After that brief um, step into Herod's palace to show us his thought process, uh, Luke takes us back to the 12 as they return from this journey. And what follows is what is typically called the feeding of the 5,000. And again, we see Jesus on full display. Here's how the account reads, verse 10, chapter 9. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat, they said. We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so. And they had them, them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven, said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. So the 12, uh, the apostles, these disciples, returned from this mission. And they're excited. They're eager to tell Jesus everything that's happened. And I'm sure Jesus is equally as excited to hear their reports. 
Just to give you a taste, verse 6 tells us that when they departed, they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Like these disciples are experiencing that power. They're participating in that mission. God is sustaining them. God is equipping them. And they come back, and I'm sure they're kind of in one of those places where they're just so excited. And they're so overwhelmed. But they're probably very tired, and, and they, they want to tell Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, okay, guys, let's do this. Let's, let's get away. But let's go pray. And so he takes him to this remote region outside the city of Bethsaida. I, I can't prove it. I can't tell you I know it, that it's 100% true. Um, but I believe the disciples were tired. Why? For the same reasons I think that you can understand. There are times when God allows us to be a part of incredible things. And yet, just in our human frailty, we get exhausted. You know, up until this point, we always see crowds with Jesus. And when the disciples return, it's likely Jesus and the disciples would have anticipated crowds. And yet, Jesus is intentional to say, okay, guys, let's get away. That leads me to believe that he probably saw that they just, they just need to get away. Let's, let's talk about what you experienced. Let's give you a little bit of a break. But what happens when they step away? The crowds are still there. And what does Jesus do? Does Jesus push them away? No, Jesus says, okay. He welcomes them. And he begins healing and begins speaking truth and proclaiming the good news. And as the day wanes on and the sun moves from low in the sky to high in the sky and back to low on the horizon, the disciples see what's happening. Okay, there's a bunch of people that have followed. It's going to be too dark and too dangerous for them to go home. Uh, we need to send them away now so they can find lodging and they can find food. So they, they, they tell Jesus, just, just send them away. Now, there are people that have said that the disciples um, were calloused. There, there are people that would say that the disciples didn't care about this crowd. And I don't think that's true at all. I mean, they go to Jesus and they say, listen, you need to give them time to get away. But what's Jesus' response? Well, feed them. And, and, and the disciples, the apostles, look at their few loaves of bread and fish. Another one of the gospel writers tells us it comes from a, a young man in the crowd. And they're like, this is what we got. I want you to see the contrast. In the first six verses, we have these same 12 who Jesus gives power and authority to. And, and they see God do remarkable things. They've just come back from days of seeing God do miracles. And, and yet here they are, and Jesus says, feed them. And they, their first thought is not to trust or to pray that God would provide a miracle. Why is that? And again, I think that's evidence that they were just tired. I mean, there, there are things when we are well rested, when, um, when we're not as stressed and as pressured, that we know we're true of God. And there's a boldness and a courage with which we can live. And there are times when we are exhausted when we kind of lose sight of those things. Here's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing that there are some of you watching this who this last spring season has been exhausting for you. Now, I've heard stories, I've heard stories from some of you that it was a great time to take a step back while it was annoying to be sheltered in place at home. Like, it, it, it was refreshing. Like, you didn't have as many demands at work. Things slowed down. You had to be more present with your kids. 
even if it was doing e-learning. But I know that there are others of you. I've heard those stories, and we've had those conversations. That this season has been just exhausting. And you know God can come through, but man, you're just tired. I think that's where the disciples were. And that's where we're primed to learn another lesson about who Jesus is. Yes, he's a Jesus who is powerful. Yes, he's a Jesus who gives that power and authority to his disciples. Yes, he is a Jesus who invites us to participate in his mission. Yes, he's a Jesus who enables us and equips us and sustains us as we depend upon him. Yes, he's a Jesus who causes everyone everywhere to deal with the reality of who he is. But he is also a Jesus who understands when we are weak and he's willing to be strong. And even when we're weak, Jesus will take what we have and he will make it more than enough. So if you are weak in this season, if you are exhausted in this season, may the story of the feeding of the 5,000 be a rich encouragement to you that Jesus will do more than enough with whatever you have as you trust him with it. That's who Jesus is. As we close today, a couple things I want you to think about. If you have been captivated by Jesus like never before. You're not a follower of Jesus. You've never said, I want to follow him. I want to believe in him. I, I want to give my life to, to God and, and what he's done for me and, and the mission that he's doing in this world. Then, then would you, if you've been captivated by how incredible Jesus is, who this Jesus is, would you simply email? Bring it up on your phone right now, your computer, your tablet. Would you, would you email connect, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, connect at LebanonChristian.org and let us help you on this journey of discovering who Jesus is. And here's the second thing I would encourage you. If you already are a follower of Jesus, I, I want you, um, after I pray in just a moment, to reflect on this question um, or this idea with, with your group or if you're by yourself, journal about it. And here's what I want you to think about and I want you to reflect upon. What encourages you the most about what you've learned about Jesus today? What you've been reminded about Jesus today? Of all the things we've talked about, what encourages you the most? And I hope that you can take that with you the rest of the week. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for our Lebanon Christian Church family. I thank you for sustaining us. I thank you for those who are watching that aren't a part of our family. Maybe they're tuning in from somewhere else in the world, somewhere else in our country. And, and I pray that we would be impressed with how remarkable you are, who you are. Teach us, not only from what we learned a couple weeks ago about your power, teach us from what we've discovered today, teach us into next week about who you are, that we might treat you the right way and respond to you the right way. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Go in peace.